G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast, the round 22 review, the penultimate home and away round of the season. Uh, dramatic um, results, dramatic finishes, enormous ramifications for the top of the ladder and what will play out in this season's finals. Uh, we're here to go through every game in graphic detail, what happened and what it all means. And as usual, we are here for our podcast partners in Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits all this AFL season. Thanks to Palmerbet. Always remember to gamble responsibly. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mr. Robert Shaw, and I'm back on deck, Shorey. I've been away in Bali. I've uh, my, I've got my <laughs> chi and my yin and my yang sorted out. I'm at peace with nature, and uh, I had a wonderful time away. Thanks for asking, <laughs> um, and uh, thanks for stitching me up, you and my able replacement. And a big thank you to, to Ronnie Werner for filling in so ably, but uh, pleasure to be back. And uh, what's happening in the footy world? Stop pissing yourself. You know what I'm laughing about? What? You've done this. You've gone away and you've had this time off and you've calmed down and you've done all this and you come back and your footy team's put in the worst performance for about 40 years and you're back to square one. Well, uh, <laughs> the, the comfort there is I already knew the Essendon Football Club was a car crash and, uh, well, today was just uh, today was just like bringing in the, the metal thing that they stomp down on the wreckage with, you know, and pack it into a tiny little compost heap of metal. That's what the Essendon Football Club is as we speak. But... Uh, more on that later. Seriously, though, um, oh. some big uh, ramifications to the top of the ladder and uh, among other things, and I'm probably not covering all bases here, but Geelong has wrapped up the minor premiership for 2022. So congratulations to the Geelong Football Club. Is that a thing, Rowan? Not really. No, uh, I, think I don't you, know why you, know, you said it. <laughs> I think you still get – they still have the McClellan Trophy, I think. I think. Um, for the, for the side that, that was great, wasn't it? The old McClellan Trophy well, under 19, yeah, correct. Reserves and, and, and reserves. yeah, well, that's not the case now, obviously. But no. uh, anyway, Geelong will finish top. Sydney, um, cool. will uh, if they win next week, uh, finish top two and probably get an S, well, will get an SCG final if they finish top two. Uh, Collingwood uh, beaten today, but if they win next week against Carlton, we'll finish top four. Fremantle win next week, and they will also finish top four. I hope I've got all this right. I think I have. Yep, Richmond have. has made the top eight, regardless of what happens to them next week. Can't be displaced. And if the Western Bulldogs win by more than a kick, and Carlton lose to Collingwood, the Bulldogs will make the eight and Carlton 
will miss out. So that's a bit of a snapshot of where we sit. Uh, pretty dramatic round of footy, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, Collingwood and um, Collingwood Carlton both with enormous ramifications. A top four spot and a spot in the eight, Rowan. Huge. I don't suppose, does a draw help either team? Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to throw a curve. No, I'm, no, I'm not. Keep uh, going. I think, uh, well, Richmond have got a draw. So if the Blues drew, no, draw, a draw will be enough for Carlton to make it in. Okay. And the Pies, yeah, don't even ask me about that. No, uh, look, what I can tell you is that'll be the biggest game between Collingwood and Carlton since they played in the 1988 qualifying final, which I'm so old, I covered that game for the age, Robert, I can tell you. But it's been, how many years is that? That's uh, 12 and 22. Yes, 34 years since that game was played. That's how long it's been since Carlton. I was a young Essendon Reserves coach the year before I went to Fitzroy. I remember it. In fact, I was dealing with you even then in my capacity as editor of the Bomber magazine. Remember that? Yes, I do. (laughs) It's a long long time ago, Robert, and we've both got older and crankier and stupider since then. Anyway, we've got a heap to talk about. Nine big games to review in detail. Let's rip into it. On Footyology, wrap around. Round 22 kicked off at Marvel Stadium on Friday evening with uh, a big game in terms of ramifications for the top eight. Well, that's almost all of them. Now, let's be honest, it was St Kilda and Brisbane, and the uh, upshot was a 15-point win to the Lions. The final scores, Brisbane 12-9-81, defeating St Kilda 9-12-66. The goals, four goals for Cam Rayner for Brisbane and uh, ended up being the match winner. Two to Danaher, two to Hipwood, singles the rest, and uh, just three goal kickers for the Saints. Four to Mason Wood, uh, probably a career-best game for him. Three to Membry and two to Higgins. Well, um, tough game this, Rob, and it uh, it ebbed and flowed and Brisbane looking uh, firmly in control at halftime. But big third turn by the Saints who kicked 5-5 and an inaccuracy costly again for them to just 1-2 in that third quarter. The Saints went into the final term needing to win with a lead. But again, inaccuracy, just five behinds in that last quarter, whilst the Lions added 4-1. Uh, like I said, Cam Rayner, the match winner, he kicked two goals at the start of that last quarter to put the Lions back in front, then extend their lead. And uh, in the dying minutes, snapped a third for the term to seal that 15-point win. Um it was a good game, this. It was tough, but it still uh, was entertaining. And the Lions, um, you know, after having thrown that one away against Richmond a couple of weeks ago, gee, it looked like, you know, it was a bit of deja vu going on, but they hung a bit tougher this one, Rob, and probably made an important statement as much to themselves as the rest of the competition. Do you agree? They had to be very physical for two reasons because there's a perceived, rightly or wrongly, there's a perceived weakness with Brisbane under intense physical pressure and the fact that the latter position demanded a physical response. Did they go overboard a little bit? I don't think so. One of their players has been reported, but they went right up to the line, which which you had to do. 
But in the end, Rowan, I thought it was the class finishing of McCluggage. You mentioned Rainer's four goals and the inaccuracy. They did a lot of... I'll go through what they did right St Kilda. They won the tackles. Uh, Marks inside 50 were equal. St Kilda won the contested possession. Clearances were basically even. But here we go. You've mentioned it. This game's very simple to analyse. They lost... They missed six... Shots that try saying that quickly, um, in a row. So yeah. go back, have a shot, and they missed it. And then you had the class finishing of Rayner, four goals, and McCluggage. Well, just on those missed shots. So Max King ended up with uh, no goals, five behinds, and his conversion is becoming a real issue. And it's just there. No, can I interrupt? I'm going to interrupt. Yeah. No, it's not. No issues. Brett Ratton quote today's oh. paper. We've got it covered. And we've got the skill sets within our club. Um, you probably have, but this kid has a problem with confidence. He has a, a problem with technique. And I think there is a level of um, control, you know, which a lot of clubs have got people in their club about control. Oh, Matthew Lloyd. Matthew Lloyd's coached this kid since he was year nine. Mm-hmm. He knows he's back to front at school at Harlebury. He played in two premierships under Matthew Lloyd and um, Lloyd is one of the best technical kick. Isn't it your responsibility, Deron, to go and to make your players better? So mm-hmm. if you have to go outside, where, where's the problem with that? Where, where's the – there seems to be this inference that, oh, it'll embarrass or put pressure on the people – in our club to show them up that they can't do the job. Mm. No, look at it the other way. We'll do anything we can to help Max King. And if Lloydie can come down on Wednesday morning for an hour and a half or take him, meet him at Harlebury College on Wednesday morning, rats, that's your job. That's your job, not to protect your staff. Yeah, uh, very good point. Uh, certainly, food for thought. It's Sorry also to interrupt that, but no, no, um, no, that, no. That that gets to me a bit. Yeah, no, I can tell. <laughs> it's a it's a very worthwhile point, but it's also the the ebbs and flows and that confidence within the course of a game. So I mean, St Kilda were four two at half time. They then kicked five ten in the second. So yeah. you know, it's not like they start kicking accurately and and that's how the game continues. Once they miss a couple, they're mentally they seem to be toast. Now, a couple of things. You mentioned McLuggage, 24 disposals and a goal. Daniel Rich, important as ever, 26 disposals. Two uh, more positives to the Saints. I mentioned Mason Wood. He kicked four goals, and unlike a lot of other games in his, uh, let's say, checkered career, um, he converted consistently and he backed himself. And it, it seemed his confidence is pretty fragile too. But uh, well done, Mason Wood. That was a great game from him. And I think they've found one in uh, Marcus Windhager, haven't they? Because his oh. tagging job on Lockie Neal was a ripper. So must say that he ended up with 21 disposals and Neal's 16 disposals was easily a season low for him. So uh, and well you know, done, Rowan, you know when he's done a good job when the coach... Um, We'll be talking to the AFL about tagging tactics on Lockie Neal. Uh, Fags, he's not a protected species, mate. He's the best player in the comp. And if they stop him, um, providing it's in the rules, and this is a debatable thing, can you turn and face a player at stoppages? Well, no, you can't, Rowan. So if he's doing that, 
He has to be umpired correctly. But Windhager's uh, performances over the last six weeks have been sensational and they found a real good one there that will continue to develop in that. The last one I want to say, Ron, St Kilda went at 40% inside 50. This sums up our total analysis. The Lions went at 55%. There's your game. Well, they had to. I was going to make a point about the inside 50s because at one stage in the first quarter, the inside 50s were 13-1 to Brisbane. Yeah. Like by quarter time, it was 11-16. So after it was 13-1, it was 10-3 for the rest of the quarter. So it's not like they can't sort of pull themselves out of trouble in the game, but they can't seem to do that with their conversion. So they're a bit of a a psychologist's um, picnic, I think, the Saints, and they might be doing a bit of that visualisation and, and not no doubt some goal-kicking work um, over the off-season. So, it's uh, not a, my, yeah. my point is not a personal... My point is on philosophy. Your role as a coach to maximise the team performance and the individual performance. Yeah. So if I'm having a trouble with my podcast, which I generally do, Ron... I'll go and speak to Damo, our technician, who yeah. will help me, you yeah. know. So I, I don't see Brett's defence as standing up. Anyway. No problems with no problems with this podcast, Robert. It is smooth sailing. <laughs> I'm tra- I was trying to think of a, a, a quick example and it was a pretty average one coming up quickly. All no, right. No, no, it's fine. Uh, all right, so next week, final round. Uh, massive game for the Lions, obviously, playing Melbourne at the Gabba, 7.50pm, big Friday night game. And the Saints, they have the final home and away game of 198 in season 2022. They host Sydney at Marvel Stadium for 40pm. All right, that was Friday night. Let's move on to the feast of football. That is Saturday. Western Bulldogs needing to make every post a winner to scrape into the eight. They hosted Greater Western Sydney at Marvel Stadium on Saturday afternoon and they just got over the line by five points. Thrilling finish this in, I'm not going to mince wounds here, a shocking game uh, as a spectacle, I thought. The final scores, Western Bulldogs, nine goals, eight, 62 just defeating GWS 8-9-57. The only multiple goal kicker for the Dogs, Bailey Williams with two singles the rest and just one multiple for the Giants as well, and that was Jake Riccardi with two goals. Well, midway through the third quarter, under the roof, perfect conditions, it's four goals to three, and I am just about to quit football for good and uh, go back to my meditation cave in Bali because that was a lot more fun than watching this rubbish. Now, I've got to say, from that moment, it did fire up a bit. GWS got nine points up. The Bulldogs then slammed on five, well, slammed on comparatively five goals in 10 minutes, and that was Norton, English, Smith, and two to Williams. Then GWS hit back and they kicked the next three in five minutes to Haynes, Hogan, Keefe. Uh, but then back to turgid footy in the last quarter with just one goal kicked in the entire quarter. That was by Jamara Eugle Hagen or for our Pakistani friends, 
uh, Jamara Allhagen. Uh, he'll be coming in at number three. For the Brogan, will you? <laughs> sorry, sorry, it just never gets old. Let uh, me off the hook. And that was, oh, you were, Please. You, you guys are crappy on about me meditating in a cave all week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was enough to secure the doggies the win. But I don't know. I know you, you, you're more of a fan of defensive football than me, Robert, but this game was crap, let's be honest. Yeah, GWS probably initiated this on the back of uh, uh, having a real strong mindset around clearances, given the fact that Liberatore, McRae, Bontempelli, so they equaled the clearances. And then the part B of their equation was to deny the Western Bulldogs the ball. And they did this by having an incredible 154 uncontested marks to 83. There's your game plan. Beat them or match them at the source, deny them the ball so they can't do the break um, the breakaway footy. So the well, game stop, plan just, was the yeah, game just, plan was good. Just let me chip in there though, because I'm going I'm turning back the clock here. But Hawthorne in their glory days used to operate uh by denying opponents the ball, but they were still a really good side to watch. Uh, it's a very interesting point. These blokes don't have uh, Luke Hodge and Shill and Bergon and Sam Mitchell kicking the ball to Jerry Ruffhead and Lance Franklin. They so there's don't. a bit of an ability, but at least they came with the plan. You were right. It was uh, it was probably a horrific halftime aggregate of 46 points in pristine conditions. I want to just jump to an issue now. Um Bontempelli and the um, – just reading the paper this morning, Bontempelli and the fitness bloke had to make a uh, a plea to allow him to play with a groin. Now, he got through, but history shows us it's an interesting one because uh, they've got the Hawks this week, always a dangerous opponent, and Bontempelli's going to be sore. So do you rest him this week or and and or, or go for it flat out – They've got to really – I can't see him not pulling up sore Rowan is mm. what I'm saying before I stop waffling. So how do they get him through this game and into the finals fit and fresh? All right. Well, a few uh, – that's a good question. A few pats on the back here. Bailey Dale, 26 disposals, seven score involvements. Caleb Daniel, 29 disposals, 527 metres gained. Bailey Smith uh, started slowly but came really good, ended up with 26 disposals. I'll tell you what, though, one guy, and it, you know, it's been said enough over the years, but I reckon this guy is just one of the, the most uh, metronomically consistent midfielders I've ever seen in my entire football-going life, Ooh. and that is Jack McRae. 31 disposals, oh, you're grimacing there. I know there's a but about him occasionally, but, but in terms of... Only because of, you've been following and writing about football for 40 years yeah, and you have actually seen the best. And, well, and yeah. yeah. Well, I, okay. I just... And, and that ability to rack up touches and occasionally there's, you know, the, the uh, damaging nature of those touches is is questionable. But in terms of just going and getting the ball, I can't think of more than, you know, a handful of players who've done it as consistently as him for so long. Um, uh, metronome a is a very good description for him. Con yeah. con constant motion, never stops moving, always on the jog. Uh, is he super quick, Rowan? I wouldn't have thought so, but he never stops. Yeah. No, well, metronome, when I was meditating in that cave, I had a metronome oh. ticking in front of me. Oh, yeah, you would have too. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> hey, just um, on the other mob. Yep. 
Um, they've got a great fullback in Taylor, but they've moved a, a somewhat inconsistent forward to centre half back this year, and he's Harry. also done a job in the ruck. But Harry Himmelberg has to be probably one of the most improved players in the competition. Or probably that's a little unfair. We are seeing him realise his full potential in his role as a key defender. Yeah, no, he's been superb. And 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 half the reason for that is his terrific ability to read the play, which makes me wonder. And I didn't think he, I, I thought he was pretty handy up forward as well. But why wasn't he a more consistent forward given that phenomenal ability to anticipate where the ball's going to be? Okay, I'll have a go at that. Okay. Um, I would have thought facing your goal as across the half-back line, and we see the way players play now, is a lot easier than with your back to goal, Rowan. Mm. So you can... Uh, yeah, and I think the, the difference is quite considerable. You sort of read the play at half-back and you make the play at half foot. And some well, some yeah. have a lot better capacity to do either or. Very quick uh, note on GWS. Their last two weeks, credit where it's due, you know, because they had checked out, as Mark McVeigh said, well, they've come back. Very competitive. <laughs> Cornelio, 31 disposals. Kelly had 35. Best on the ground. Yep. You mentioned Himmelbuch, 30 touches and 12 <laughs> marks. Um, but, you know, look, they're, they're uh, not a basket case, so whoever takes them over, and just on that score, the jungle drums are now suggesting Adam Uze might be a favourite to take on that job, which would be interesting. But certainly plenty of talent there uh, with which to work. Uh, what's on the agenda next week for these two? Well, the Doggies, tough, tough ask. They have to beat Hawthorne down in Launceston, and that was a assignment which certainly brought them undone last year so they'll be mindful of that the Giants finish off their season in Canberra 145 Saturday afternoon with a home game against the Dockers and uh, I didn't mention when that game at Hawthorne Bulldogs is that is Sunday afternoon 1.10pm at University of Tasmania Stadium alright that was the first of the two Saturday afternoon games Let's talk about the other one. Adelaide Oval was the venue for the Crows taking on the Kangaroos. In the end, a pretty comfortable 29-point win to the Crows. Final scores 15-13-103, defeating North Melbourne 10-14-74. 74 Actually, saying pretty comfortable is a bit of a misnomer because the three quarters, this was neck and neck. In fact, scores absolutely level at three-quarter time. Disappointing final term fade out by the Roos. They didn't kick a goal in the last quarter and the Crows kicked five. But uh, periods in this game where North were definitely the better side, uh, of course, um, this game all about the uh, emotional return from testicular cancer of Ben Cunnington. And uh, wasn't that great to see? And uh, he's such a heartbeat of that club and so universally popular throughout the game. And he played really well too. He ended up with 17 disposals, six of them contested. Just great to see him back out there in the spiritual heartbeat of that kangaroo side. And uh, they responded in pretty good fashion. More of that in a minute. The goal kickers. Four to Darcy Fogarty. Is he having a good finish to this season? Three to Tex Walker. They've uh, developed a pretty effective tandem. 
two to McAdam, two to Rowe, singles the rest. And for North, two to Curtis, very exciting player, two to Zebel, two to Zerha, and singles the rest. Well, um, I tell you what, Robert, North, there's been stages this season where North Melbourne have been pilloried and people are saying the worst side since Fitzroy. We've been critical of them too. We've rattled off the losing margins they racked up under David Noble. But isn't it amazing how quickly perceptions can change? And I reckon a lot of people would have watched that game yesterday. They would have watched the stellar performance of Luke Davies Uniac, who was just outstanding for the Roos. He ended up with 37 disposals, 11 clearances, 10 inside 50s, and kicked a goal. You got Jai Simpkin, 30 disposals to the Roos. I love Paul Curtis up forward. He is really exciting. And this is all against the backdrop of the now, it seems, pretty likely prospect of Alistair Clarkson becoming their coach. All of a sudden, things not looking too bad for the Roos. Now, uh, let's talk about Adelaide because I think they've had moments this year where people have said, where are they going? But things looking up for them too. I mentioned Fogarty and Walker up forward, seven goals between them. Terrific duo. Rory Laird, for another phenomenally consistent ball winner. So they've got plenty of upside as well for the future. Um, the likes of uh, Schomburg, uh, Berry, a really good player for them. So two sides, disappointing over the year, but the future for either of them doesn't look too bad. The Crows, incidentally, now up to eight wins, which puts them one ahead of what they racked up last year. So One more, Rowan, and we got budget. I think we went... What nine. would be a budget year? Nine? We went nine. My word, we did. You might be right. But do you agree that in, in both of them, people would say they had a disappointing 2022, but the future doesn't look that bad necessarily? Mate, I don't think we actually uh, um, criticised. We, we were very critical and rightly so of the way this group was coached. Let's cut to the chase. And um, two weeks after Jeff Walsh, arrived or 10 days after him, David Noble was gone. So it was the capacity to coach this young group. You've got to think that um, Horn Francis and Taryn Thomas, for probably application reasons, are in the seconds too. Um, you certainly um, open a can of worms, as you tend to do on Twitter. Is there a chance that these blokes could um, progress quicker than our club, Essendon? Um, and you were pilloried, laughed at normally, um, but I would ask people to take a deep breath. And if we do, if we, if they do get Alistair Clarkson and there's some shuffling of the coaching and North find the best out of Thomas and they get some stability from Cunnington and Zebel next year, they've got a wonderful fullback. Uh, I wouldn't mind kicking the ball into Larky and Zerha. That's pretty exciting. And pick up a couple of players. Um People have got to watch football more closely and not just get blinkered by the their own sort of club ineptitude, you know. Um, so I, I think you're on the mark, but it'll come down to Clarkson and the team that he built. You know, you spoke about Luke Davies Uniac. Um, he's propelled himself into, oh, am I plucking a number if I say the top six midfielders in the comp or the top ten? Um, is at a level below Oliver and Petrarca. But that's nothing wrong with that, Rowan. Where where would you place him? He's a brilliant player. Yeah, and just, just on that progression, 
I mean, that was half my point. If we're if we're comparing North Melbourne to say Essendon, right? Yeah, that was half my point. That you look at guys like LDU and you look at guys like Curtis and Mackay, and yeah. you see that progression, and it goes up and up and up. That's and again, let's not talk about Essendon, but no. that is what you don't see with Essendon's young guys. It's not that and it's a catchphrase linear progression. You don't see it. I mean. For example, anyway. where, where where are Cox, uh, Jones, um, Reed, etc., relative to those young guys behind? Okay, so that's why I, I think North has some really bright days ahead of it. On the technical side, Adelaide won this game. Um, like it was close to three quarter time, but basically, Rowan on their ability to score from their defensive third area, running the ball out of the back line. They scored 52 points, right? That's over eight goals uh, compared to North's 10 points. So North couldn't stop them rebounding. And pivotal to that, of course, Jordan Dawson, 33 disposals, 830 metres gain. Now, when you're talking about targeted recruiting, um, he's been one of the best pickups of the year, hasn't he? He's made them a significantly better side, I think, coming out of defence. Yeah, oh, and and of course you've got Brody Smith on the other side. So, um, yeah, this their, their back line's pretty settled. Uh, they've found some players, young McAdam. Uh, Tex Walker has a good year next year. Fogarty continues his development. Um, they get continued improvement out of Thilthorpe. Uh, and Gallant, who we thought was a very good player, but only very young. He's only 18 or 19, so he'll progress next year. Um, though both these sides have got uh, 2023 to look forward to, Rowan. Yep, and uh, a final point on the Roos, so I did mention the fade-out, and that was disappointing, but, and it's a considerable but, they did run into some really significant injury problems late in the game. Uh, to wit, they were without Jack Zebel. He hurt his shoulder. Uh, Jaden Stevenson hurt his back. Jed Anderson was concussed, and Curtis um, had a shoulder injury as well. So they're pretty hamstrung, pardon the pun, by injury uh, at the finish of that game, which wouldn't have helped. But one of those games, look, no uh, meaningful stakes attached to this. But uh, both sides, I reckon, would have come away from this feeling not too bad not about too bad. how the future looks. Uh, and the future with Alistair Clarkson means. People, player managers will. I want to be coached by Alistair Clarkson. Yeah, I want to see what it's like to be coached by Alistair Clarkson. I'll go to North. Yeah, right now and with the previous coaching setup, they don't want to. Yeah, yeah. And now no. they'll want to stay. I yeah. think it's a critical decision in the history, not the weeks, the history of North Melbourne. I'll yeah. leave it with you. Yep, no, absolutely. All right, next week, uh, the Crows finish off the season with a showdown in which they are the away side up against Port Adelaide. That one, Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the Roos have got a home game to finish Saturday afternoon, 2.10 p.m. against Gold Coast. Uh, Speaking of which, they featured in our next game for discussion. Well, all-conquering cats, Geelong looking magnificent on top of the ladder, and they have now sewn up the minor premiership for 2022 with a thumping 10-goal win over Gold Coast at Metricon Stadium. The final scores, 18-11, 119, defeating the Suns, 
nine goals, five fifty nine. The goal kickers, three to Jeremy Cameron, three to Stengel, the recruit of the year for mine, two to Blitzars, two to my boy Maxie Holmes, two to Myers, two to Parfit, and singles the rest. And for Gold Coast, uh, the only multiple goal kicker there, two to Isaac Rankin. Well, this is one of those games where the Cats just put it to bed early with seven goals in that first quarter, their 12th straight win, and like I said, locking up the top spot. Uh, who drove that first quarter? Well, Tyson Stengel, great bit of recruiting, this has proved. Look, you know, you might say, look, we all knew he could play, but a whole lot of other clubs weren't prepared to take a calculated gamble on him. The Cats have Eddie Betts coming aboard the club, obviously. He's been a significant uh, mentor-type presence to Stengel. But uh, kudos, it has paid off. And they finally have that uh, really dangerous, small pressure goal-kicking forward that they have lacked. And maybe that's the difference between them being able to win the flag or not. Blitzarves, he's been fantastic all year. 27 disposals and two goals for him. And Maxi Holmes, two goals again, 20 touches. Rob, he's becoming one of their best midfielders and uh, getting significantly more time in the middle as well as on his customary wing. He has become a really important player for them. I'll let you pick it up. You made a good point about um, one of the reasons they are the premiership favourites. I'll give you three reasons, four reasons why they're premiership favourites. The best players, Rowan, Guthrie, Parfit and Blixarves and De Koning. Now, we've... We have applauded, we have stood and applauded Mabio Chol yep. and Levi Cowsbolt's combination after the Gold Coast lost King. Well, between them, Rowan, they've had kicked a point. So this is my last plea to the All-Australian selectors to try and get a fullback to win the Rising Star. Mm. Sam DeConning is extraordinary. And and I know I'm being a little bit of a, a smarty pants, but mate, they've had, maybe a Charles had a great year. Yeah. They kicked a point between them. Yeah. And 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 why I mentioned Guthrie Parfit and Blizzard, Blixarves, Blizzard was the uh, former opening bowler for Tasmania, by the Aiden, way. Aiden Blizzard. Yeah, correct. Uh, no, a, a, a batsman, a pugnacious batsman. Um. Selwood 24, Dangerfield 21. I think I've got that in the right order. Mm. They're, they're not required, Rowan, if that mm. might – you know what I mean. Yeah. They're not yeah. required. You know, they, they, and the fact that they took off Cameron in the last quarter after he was clearly best on ground. So what the Cats are very, very good at is exposing their next level. Like Parfit's been the medical sub, Rowan. Mm. Right? And all of a sudden he's in their best players. They haven't been able to get him in. Yeah, um, well, we'll have they, a, can they, I can yeah. I just give myself a pat on the back there? I've been saying all year Parfit is a very important player for Cats. I mean, this there are a number of reasons they are a much better side, and we've just talked about he's it. He's been cutting the oranges on the bench, Ryan. Yeah, well, he had a hand, a hand injury yeah, for quite some time. Yeah. But having him, Holmes, close. Um, uh, Myers Atkins as yes. more pivotal parts of the engine room means that yeah, Dangerfield Selwood don't have to be as good week in week out, and that's why they're better. Correct. Um, yeah, I, I I tell you what, 
right now, uh, they, for me, are just unbackable flag favourites, which is no news flash, is it? But, uh, Jesus, theirs to lose at the moment because they they are just flying. Let's talk about the Suns. Yes. It's been a, look, a disappointing end to it, perhaps. But I think, you know, they've definitely gone up a level. I think, uh, by and large, they have proved uh, to be a tougher, more resilient side than they were. Uh, who waved the flag for him or took Miller does every week, and he did so again, 36 disposals. Uh, ben Ainsworth had uh, four goal assists yesterday from his 19 touches. Um, yeah, not enough contributors for them. Ellis was okay. Anderson was okay. Jared Witts battled manfully in the ruck, as he does every week. But uh, plenty there for Stewie due to work with. Um, being out of contention for the final, so uh, makes it a little bit hard for everyone to keep their motivation levels up for the full game against a side just absolutely running hot. But you would agree, wouldn't you, Rob? The Suns' yeah. future is uh, well certainly brighter than we would have thought uh, at some... this time last year. Oh, much definitely. They um, they built their game on um, inside contested ball and clearances, and quite interesting. Uh, they were very competitive again in the clearances. They got destroyed by Geelong's outside game, which is a real problem and an issue for their recruiting. They've got to get outside pace. Uh, even, you know, the other, um, the new side, they have Whitfield and Kelly on wings. I don't think Gold Coast have got anything at that level. So, you know, they've got Ellis from Richmond, but they're very good in close. Uh, they'll get King back. And they, I think they're just getting a bit tired, Rowan. Been a long year, and that shows up in the turnovers in the first quarter. Um, they had um, 21 from their 73 possessions, so 30% of their ball use resulted in turnovers. That, To me, th- that that's a fatigue issue and also the ability of the opposition or first class. So I'll give them, we've got to give them a tick this year and uh, look ahead to them fixing up some quite significant areas in their outside running game. I love the fact that we still call them and the other um, mob the new sides in the competition. One of How long have they been in the comp? Well, Gold Coast 2011 and GWS 2012. You know what it's like? You'll what? appreciate this. It's a football equivalent of calling ACDC frontman Brian Johnson the new singer in Akadaka after he's been there for about 40 years. And he's Bond's been there, what, 1980, Yeah, 1980. And 42 Bond's, years. And Bond Scott <laughs> passed away 40 years ago, but Brian Johnson's still a new bloke. <laughs> okay. You it's know a, what I mean. Yeah, yeah I, I do know what you mean. All right, let's uh, talk about what these two have got on the agenda next week. Well, Gold Coast uh, come down to Melbourne and finish off the year at Marvel Stadium against North Melbourne. So certainly a chance to finish on a winning note for them. And those all-conquering cats, oh, God, wow, could this be ugly. Um, they have got a home game, GMHBA Stadium, 4.35 p.m. Saturday afternoon against West Coast, who hate playing there at the best of the times, let alone when they're close to the bottom of the ladder and just desperately wanting this nightmare of a year to finish. So Lord knows what that, the carnage it could result in that And you game. know why, Rowan? You know why? Because um, this might be a chance to bring them all back and have a real fit. Oh, I'm not saying they're not fair, Dingham. Have a 100% crack with their full strength side, knowing that the next week is the finals bye. 
So they probably don't have to rest or rotate anyone unless they want to give someone like um, De Koning a spell, the young bloke a spell, and give him two weeks off. All right, that was okay. the Saturday Twilight game. Let's talk about Saturday evening. Well, big build-up to the Saturday night game in Melbourne, and uh, we weren't disappointed. What an epic game this proved to be. Melbourne getting up and defeating Carlton by five points in literally the last gasp. The final score is Melbourne 11-13-79, defeating the Blues 10-14-74. Five-point win, dramatic win. The goal kickers, four to Jakey Melksham, Two to Pickett, singles the rest for the Blues. Three to Mackay, three to Martin, singles the rest. Well, the Blues, gee, you've got to give them points for being gallant. Gallantry, they certainly took the points on that score. Already without the likes of Hewitt and Kennedy midfield, they then lost uh, late Adam Chera with an adductor injury. He was replaced by Will Setterfield. Uh, gee, it was a defensive slog early. Two minutes before half time, it was just two goals each. But then things really opened up in the second half. Uh, the Blues dominant in that last quarter, but couldn't hit the scoreboard. Three goals, six. Paddy Cripps, who'd been pretty good, he went quiet. Just two disposals in that last quarter. How did it unfold? Well, absolute drama at its best. Jack Martin put the Blues up with 10 minutes left. Uh, goal to Ben Brown uh, left the Blues just a point up with just under seven minutes left. And then what looked like the winning goal for Carlton, Charlie Curnow, quiet all night, bobbed up and kicked a goal to give the Blues an eight-point lead with just three minutes and one second left on the clock. Then... Just under two minutes, the ball gets kicked down to the Melbourne goal square. Melksham bobs up to mark among three Carlton defenders. Four. Four Carlton defenders. Makes the difference. One point. Final, not the final attack, second last attack of the game. Ball gets bombed in and Keziah Pickett, what a pickup at the front of the pack and snap off balance. The ball sails through. Melbourne regains the lead with just 11 seconds left on the clock. Carlton did attack from that last centre bounce. Uh, Christian Salem punched the ball clear and the uh, siren rang to pandemonium. Uh, Heartbreak for the Blues because even a draw would have ensured they uh, will play finals for the first time since 2013. But the D's got off the canvas. What a game. It was just amazing drama, Rob, wasn't it? Well, I loved it. It was sensational. And, um, you know, a lot of people um, dancing on Carlton's so-called grave and, uh, you know, got what you did. What I can't understand that. I thought they were magnificent. They lost their core midfielders. A whole section of their midfield was out and they applied pressure to Melbourne. Melbourne applied pressure to back. This was a great finals-type game. Um, Melbourne just had that capacity to make the right decisions at the right time, and that comes from the experience of playing in these finals and winning a grand final run. You know, you look at that last play, um, uh, Jaden Hunt didn't mess around. He put the ball to the top of the goal square. There, there was no half-smart kick 
put the pressure on the goal square and let's make something happen. Well, I want to talk about that last play because when Collingwood beat Essendon after the sign the other week, there was so much dissection of that kick in. I thought this was a bit similar in that there was that boundary throw in on the wing. And I I slowed it down to have a look at it because Tom Rockcliffe actually was talking about this. You can see at that throw in, Jake Lever is pointing to the corridor. It's going, go in there, go in there. You have a look in the corridor. Melbourne had three unattended players in that centre square when that throw-in took place. Where were the Carlton players, you reckon, Ron? I don't know. Pushing back inside? I I guess so. Uh, Now, it didn't go immediately there, but it was actually Lever who ended up getting the ball, and he just blindly went inboard. He didn't even look. He knew he had unattended players there. Hunt then takes the ball and pumps it in. Pickett does the rest. But um, it looked like a bit of a set play that they knew – uh, the numbers would be more down the line, closer to the boundary. They marshaled all their forces inboard and were able to get clear. So it took a lucky bounce, mind you. It did. A bit stiff yeah. that bounce. But three on to one to enable Hunt to get that ball and pump it into the goals. Yeah, it was. it's a really good insight. Um what are we what are we talking about? We're talking about great matchups between May and Mackay. I thought Kurnow and Petty was a good one. Gee, Carlton did well uh, on Brown and Fritch, didn't they? And uh, but gee, Jakey Melsham, he, he gets away from you. He's had a very good year from a bloke that I, I reckon he played two or three games last year and wasn't on their radar in the grand final. He's become a very important player for them. So, um, and and, and just to go back to what you said. You can't buy that sort of experience. And then you see Carlton's reaction, a mark on the wing, uh, going backwards, going backwards. If they'd kicked it long up the line and got half a spoil in Rowan, the time would have run down. But they, they went backwards. It was a very bad kick. From uh, Oes to yeah, Adam Saad. To Adam Saad, who was then under pressure and opened up the game. There were four changes of lead in the last quarter. There were double figures changes of the lead for the whole game. So I thought it was a superb game. Uh, Carlton lost the game, which makes them now uh, vulnerable. Uh, a few scenarios have to, have to be in play. Uh, they'll be physically strengthened by this. I don't know whether uh, physically um, – sorry, I'll start again – They'll be mentally tested by this. They've got to come up mentally more than physically to face Collingwood, but the um, the prize is outstanding if they can get through that. Can they play like that next week against Collingwood? They most definitely will. Their tackling and their pressure and their game plan, you know, they lose those blokes and they put Settlefield straight onto Oliver as a tagger. Did a great job. Cottrell on Langdon on the wing. So they really planned this well and they were – you know, but we've seen that's the game, 30 seconds away from the win. Hopefully they'll get Sarah back. I'm not sure about Kennedy. And Hewitt is a week-to-week uh, um, proposition Proposition with that back, which is a real worry. All right. I'm going to uh, put it out there about Melbourne. If I say to you there is one player who Melbourne most need to play well if they are any chance at all of winning a premiership again, who do you think I'd be talking about? Oh, I don't know, Ryan. Just, just have so I had a couple of guesses. Well, okay. Well, I'm going to go with Stephen May. Has to, when he's out or when he gets – yeah, I'm going right. Stephen May. Who are you well, going for? What, a I, midfielder? No, I'm saying ben, ben Brown. 
Yeah, well, here's the difference between them being able to win this flag or not. And you know what? He was last year as well. It was only when he came good last year that they began to kick those higher scores, right? And they had a fully functioning forward set up. Where's Tom McDonald then? He, he won't come back. Oh, uh, that's your problem, it, it, isn't it's, it? It's just been too long. Have ben, you got confidence in Ben Brown after the way he dis- the form since he's come back? Not overly, no. But uh, I wouldn't go with Wiedemann, no. No, no. no. What I'm okay. saying is they okay. they can't win. If they win the flag, Ben Brown will have contributed to it. And I'm saying they can't win the flag if Ben Brown doesn't play well. Simple like as that for me. Moving. Don't like the way. No, no, I, I think they're in trouble. I, I've had a yeah. lot of faith in them all year, but I, I do think the forward line is a major issue for them now. And Milksham, yeah, look, for, hats off to him, but you know, is he going to do the get the job done in a final series? You've got to have your doubts, don't you? Oh, um, another thing, we we yeah. um, we sung the praises quite rightly of Ben Cunnington. What a performance along similar lines of Sam Doherty. He's yes. a, had a magnificent year on. He's gone into the middle. They ran yeah. out of midfielders, so they had to take one of their strengths, which is their halfback, and uh, put Doherty in the midfield up against Viney and Petrarca and these sort of blokes. He was magnificent. So, you know, on to next week, and um, I sort of hope Carlton make it. They've been in there all year. Yep. You know? Yep. All right. Well, let's talk. All year. Let's talk about next week because they're two massive games, uh, and yeah. the first of them is on Friday night, and Melbourne uh, up to the Gabba to take on Brisbane. That'll be huge. Seven fifty PM Friday evening, and then the big one Sunday afternoon: Carlton v Collingwood, the MCG, three twenty PM Sunday afternoon. The biggest, I wouldn't even say arguably, this is the biggest game between these two clubs, Robert, since the 1988 qualifying final. Okay. 34 years. Well, only just 34 years since these two great rivals played as big a game. It is going to be a cracker, and I reckon we'll get close to 80,000, if not more, turning up. You'd want 90-plus, wouldn't you, well, for these two? Well, crowds are down this year. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's okay. going to be a massive occasion and cannot wait for that. And That is the second last home and away game of 2022. Well, there was one more game played on Saturday evening, and it was, and don't dare call it a derby, because in Perth, it's a derby. Hey, Rowan. Yeah. Can I just ask you a question, please, before we move on to that? Yeah, quick. This is 3.20, yeah. free to air. We'll yes. probably do it next week in news. What's all this system about putting games behind paywall? Uh, is that a story in itself? Well, that that's we should, that's about you know, the next broadcast yeah. agreement. Yeah. So we, if that was behind a paywall yeah, and thousands upon thousands couldn't see that game, is that yeah. correct? Uh, well, yeah. that would be the case if it was behind a paywall, yes. Okay. That right would on. be a big concern. All right, uh, right let's on. let's go to Perth. Oh, a derby. That's what they call it if you're from WA and uh, always uh, much anticipated. Fremantle playing West Coast, one team with plenty to play for, one team without much, but uh, also another uh, – sentimental, emotional occasion for the Dockers with David Mundy saying farewell to his 
home fans um, and the Dockers in the end, four goal victors, inaccurate, not for the first time, nine goals, 17. They ended up with 71, defeating West Coast, 7-5-47. The goal kickers, two to Walters, two to Frederick, singles the rest, and Waterman, two for the Eagles, singles the rest for them. Well, the Eagles came out pretty tough. It's one of the more physical uh, derbies we've seen in recent times, and uh, but they couldn't keep it up, and the Dockers ended up grinding out an important win. Their third derby win on the trot uh, secures a home final for them, and uh, their first since their last September appearance in 2015. The Ross Glendinning Medal Ooh, was yeah. won by Sean Darcy. And uh, I think Ross was in agreement with that. He didn't. Uh, he didn't uh, unilaterally change the <laughs> the winner. Uh, it still makes me laugh. Fifty-seven hitouts Sean Darcy had, and uh, it was a celebration. Like I said, for retiring champion David Mundy, he had twenty-five disposals, uh, eight clearances, twelve contested possessions. Uh, Will Brody twenty-seven touches. Caleb Sarong twenty-five. Also pretty good in a dominant. Fremantle midfield. What'd you make of this one, Robert? Oh, it's good to see the Dale Kickett Cup return. The Dale Kickett Cup. Was he, they should have brought him out to uh, knock some sense into Phil oh, Reid. Remember, remember Phil that... Reid? Oh, yeah, he was annoying. It didn't go to that level, but uh, hey, mate, this is the West Coast um, on the stage at home, wanting to try uh, in a good way. Not not a vicious send uh, send Fremantle limping into the finals, and uh, they exerted some extraordinary physical pressure on them, um, and, and they were okay. But I, I rate this a very very good win, very very good win. They were act, um, they were inaccurate. You have a look at the job that Tom Barras did on uh, uh, Rory Lobb, who who got uh, donuts. Yep. Um, they tagged Brayshaw with Nelson. So they went very, very physical and really threw the challenge down to Fremantle. Um, interesting, Sean Darcy's dominance over Nick Natanui, and we've seen a retirement of Kennedy. I'm assuming that Natanui is going on next year, Rowan. Um, he's had injuries. It's only assumption. So, But uh, Sean Darcy uh, certainly took him to the cleaners and justifiably won that um Won the medal. Hey, just uh, on West Coast, we've talked a lot about how they don't have enough good young players putting their hands up. This was one game at least where you're able to say, you know, here's a bit for the future. Now you yeah. mentioned you mentioned Nelson, his job on. Gonna, I know who you're going to mention. Brayshaw. Um, well, I'm going to mention a couple. Bazo, I thought was not bad. Um, the one who really stood out for me though, Xavier O'Neill. That's uh, the one. Nineteen yep. disposals. He had eleven tackles as well. So I don't reckon there's been many games this year, even when the Eagles have started to play better, where their younger guys have led the charge. And yeah, you know, look, Barras was clearly their best. Hearn was really good as well. So was uh, Shuey. But hey, at Ron, least yeah. there was a couple of younger players putting their hands up this time. Hey, look look at your review of the North Melbourne game. I really like yeah. Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. How good's Curtis going to be? Yeah, yeah. Oh, how many times have we said this year? It's a big concern. It is. We, we haven't got the injury list in front of us, but I can't remember you or I saying, oh, they could beat by 100 points. But did you see young Curtis's game? He's going to be a player. And I reckon that's one of the few times that you've actually highlighted 
a young player in Xavier O'Neill, certainly an unknown out of West Australia in the bigger picture of things, that, hey, he, he can really play. That's a good sign. But few and far between for me. Well, yeah, and, and for me too. And it really makes their future a, a, a complex discussion, doesn't it? I mean, where, where do they go with this? Because it's easy to say we need to rebuild, you know, and and talk all those older guys or half of them into retirement. But um, it's not that simple because if you throw out too much, too many babies with the bathwater, you end up being where Melbourne was, say, you know, 10 or so years ago, where you've got a group of kids who just get ritually thumped every week and, and don't develop, and that's no good for anyone. So they've got to make some really careful decisions about the extent to which they alter that list, don't they? I mean, yeah. maybe do they, do they do they you know try and trade in a few more mid tier players, you know, younger guys, but blokes who have a, at least say two or three AFL seasons already under their belts. I don't know which way would you go. Oh, I know which way they'll go. They they want to be the big ticket item in town. They've they've got the business end of town. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And. Uh, a part of their DNA is to keep Fremantle as far away as possible from success. And Fremantle have had a bit of a, you know, a grand final under Ross Lyon. They're, they could go deep into the finals this year. Uh, they won't lay down. They, they will, they're, they're incredibly wealthy. I know there's a, a salary cap, but they will be identifying talent to push them straight up the ladder. I can't see West Coast Eagles going into a, a stage of admitted rebuild. They won't do that because they can't do it in the town. That's they won't own the town. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. So the commercial realities make it more complicated. They have had, I mean, they won the wooden spoon in 2010, and it's interesting that they were still one of the best rebounds I, I think I can remember. The, the following year, they made a preliminary final. Yeah. But but that was on the back of a list that was still young enough. This is a much different situation because these guys are at the end of their careers. And if they prolong them an extra year or two just to be competitive, they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. So, gee, I wouldn't like to be Adam Simpson and I wouldn't like to be the administration trying to work out exactly where they go. Going to be some really interesting decisions. Let's talk about next week. The Eagles finish off the season from hell with the road trip to hell, i.e. GMHBA <laughs> Stadium, where Geelong will be waiting, just licking its lips at some easy roadkill uh, in the Eagles. A cat feasting on a dead bird. That sort of uh, makes sense, doesn't it? I'm getting all um, allegorical this week. And uh, for allegorical is a good word. And for Fremantle, they have a road trip themselves. They go to Canberra to take mm. on GWS, that game, 1.45 p.m. Saturday afternoon. So another derby run and one. Freo winning three derbies in a row now after the Eagles. I think won 11 in a row. So uh, the balance of power in WA has swung again in favour of the Fremantle Dockers. All right, that was Saturday's um, smorgasbord of football. And let's talk about what happened on Sunday. Sunday's schedule kicked off with a 1.10pm game at the MCG between Richmond and Hawthorne. Tigers, of course, having to win to maintain their finals hopes. Hawthorne, well done and dusted for the Hawks. 
And, uh, well, that's pretty much what it looked like uh, given the performance of these two sides because this was a smashing. The Tigers belted Hawthorne. The final scores, 20 goals, 8, 128. To the Hawks, 9 goals, 13, 67. In other words, a 61-point win to the Tigers, the goal kickers. Well, a bag. We don't see many bags of this size anymore, but we got one today. Eight goals to Tom Lynch, equal his career best, and he was in superb form. Two to Cumberland, two to Edwards, two to Prestia, two to Morris Rioli, and singles the rest for the Hawks, two to Luke Bruce, two to Jack Gunston, and singles the rest. Well, the writing was on the wall very early, six goals to one in the first quarter. <coughs> and uh, the inside 50 count in that first oh. quarter, 21 to six in the first term, the Tigers racked up. And uh, they really, though, put the foot to the throat completely in the third quarter. Uh, the Hawks got back a little bit of respectability, still five goals down at halftime, but the third term, not reflected in the inside 50s, but talk about efficient. Richmond had 13 inside 50s in the third quarter. They scored from 11 of them, and the 11 scores consisted oh, of God. nine goals too. It was a smashing four of Lynch's eight goals came in that third term, and it was just take it back to the centre, win the clearance, kick a goal. They were red hot. And I'll tell you what is ominous for other sides, Robert. Their scoring power is back. This was the third game in a row they scored 100-plus points in um, as they tune up for, uh, well, who knows what they could do because if any side can do plenty of damage from the bottom half of the eight, it's these blokes. How'd you see this one? Yeah, they weren't. Yeah, they weren't tested down the 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 back end where I was hoping. You know, with Grimes and Vlostin was sore. Um, you know, Grimes's uh, f- finals futures on the line, or has he been ruled out, Rowan? Already? I think oh, I don't think so. Has no, right. I don't think so. Look, I want to. I don't mind. I know this sounds strange. I don't mind what uh, Sam Mitchell did. In a day where Tom Lynch is in form, he started James Sicily in the midfield. He's given him, he's tried something. But that it did expose James Blank, mm. Denver, Granger Barris, and Emerson Jecker. Like games between those three. Up. So um, it was a sort of a self fulfilling prophecy. You know, I'm going to try something, but I might leave the back door open. You certainly left the back door open. Um, I don't mind actually. Where are they on the ladder? Like 12, 13, 14, something like that, whatever. It doesn't matter. But to try Sicily in the midfield and have a look at that uh, wasn't too bad. But they got decimated in the back end. Like they could have held Lynch to three and they might have got beaten by 42 points or something like that, Rowan. So they've they've tried to gain something out of it. But what I liked about Richmond, I'll tell you what, who's starting to bloom a bit. Mm. And he's had a bit of trouble with the, the form of Castagna. Uh, M. M. Rioli Jr. Oh, yeah. is is starting to have a nice little run of a patch of form heading into the finals and uh, finding his way at senior level. Well, you know what? In in true Rioli fashion, he does a lot of damage with not a lot. 
Um, I'm going to look up his touch. But, but he is. I mean, he, he, I, I'll check it in a minute. But his score involvements, uh, just every time he touched the ball, it seemed to end in a score. And Did, did Cyril ever have more than 20 disposals? Oh, I, don't think, yeah. I don't think Dean did. No, a couple, couple of times towards the back end he might have. But you're right. It, it's just oh. – and and this is the hallmark of a great player, isn't it? Not yeah. needing many touches to do a lot of damage. But it's more than that with him, the the chasing and the harassing that is back for the Tigers. And that is almost the key to their game, isn't it? There's it, it is a couple of keys to their game. Forward handball and surge mentality. Yep. And I think that forward pressure and just harassment of sides in their defensive 50, that's what make Richmond tick. That's what makes Richmond tick. And the difference now is, that, and this is what happened with them in 2017. It was only quite late in the year it started to be converted into scoreboard pressure. And that's what's happening again now. And for that reason, I'm getting 2017 vibes. Now, that's not me saying they're going to go on and win it, but I think they are a serious chance. They're going to finish, what, seventh round? They can't go any higher than that? I don't think so. No, I don't think they can. So they're playing sixth. Who is at the moment? um... At the moment, sixth place on the ladder is Fremantle. Um, so yeah. it would mean a, an away, you know, for the latter state as it is. Oh, it I know, Rowan, we're, we're hypothetical, but yeah. a, a trip to Fremantle is not going to worry Richmond, uh, is it? Oh, well, uh, it'll put day. it this way, it'll worry him a lot less than any other finalist. I mean, yeah. no, every, any team at any venue will worry Richmond less than anyone else. I mean, they, they are a serious flag threat, I think, from the bottom half of the eight. Okay, then. Well, that's a very good win. Prestia continues to dominate games, standing up in basically to replace Martin. So um, they've got two weeks to – I think they'll play him. I think this is a calculated – not gamble. It's it's calculated. And my gut feeling is that Dustin Martin will hit the ground running in week one of the finals. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you another plus two, and we don't tend to talk about him as much now, but Trent Cotchin uh, is starting to join the party as well. 30 touches today, and I think 17 contested possessions too. So there's some more 2017 vibes. And the, and we have talked about this guy, but Noah Cumberland has Ooh. made a huge difference to that forward set up as well. So He's an awkward player. Awkward it, player to match up. Yeah, yeah. Things are starting to click for him. Uh, let's talk quickly about the Hawks. Uh, oh, they're certainties next week, aren't they, to upset the Bulldogs? Oh, I go, go, going on, going on Hawthorne's year. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, no, I, I know where you're coming from. I uh, thought this would be a very competitive game, but um, like just, Sam Mitchell's experimented a little bit, Ron. It bit him on the backside. Yeah, I just wanted to give some kudos to Finn McGuinness because he yes. really kept the shutters on Shea Bolton, who was held to 13 disposals. Oh, we've got to uh, mention that. That's a great Ben McAvoy, mention. second last game for him and uh, Lionhearted as per usual. Newcomb tried hard. He always does. And uh, Gunston and Bruce, two goals each. Yeah, disappointing day for the Hawks, but... We keep pushing them. There is considerable upside to them next year. So uh, certainly wouldn't be as gloomy about them as I am about other sides who lost over the weekend. All right, let's uh, talk about next week for both these sides. Tigers, of course, uh, bigger stakes for them. And uh, oh, they'll be trembling in their boots, Robert, because they've got to play Essendon at the MCG on Saturday evening. Uh, yes, I'm being sarcastic. 7.25 p.m. 
Uh, that could get very ugly as well. And uh, the Hawks, well, their season finishes with a home game uh, against the Western Bulldogs at the University of Tasmania Stadium in Launceston. Okay, that was the first game on Saturday. Massive game up in Sydney between the Swans and the Pies. Let's discuss that one. Well, most important consequential game of the uh, Sunday of round 22 came at the SCG with Sydney and Collingwood both sitting in that top four. And who would stay there? Well, in the end, Collingwood's winning streak came to an end courtesy of a pretty tough Sydney outfit. And this is a pretty gritty, grinding sort of win. And in the end, quite a comfortable one. 27 points. The Swans, 11 goals, 11, 77, defeating the Pies, 7, 8, 50. The goals for the Swans, three to Franklin, two to Heaney, two to Papley, singles the rest, and all single goal kickers for the Pies. Things didn't start well for Collingwood, losing Jordan to Goey, a late withdrawal before this game. That obviously... Uh, a massive blow, and they then lost Jack Ginnivan pretty early in the piece to a hamstring injury, and uh, you think he's going to miss at least the next couple of weeks, if not more. So um, that is a massive blow to their finals prospects. Uh, but Sydney just doing it tougher, and uh, you know the thing, you're probably better equipped to answer this one, but I thought this was an exceptionally good coaching performance from John Longmire. They really picked the pies apart. They denied them the ball by uh, being prepared to chip the ball around, take lots of uncontested marks. In fact, I'm pretty sure they ended up with over 100 for the game. They shut down Nick Dacos with uh, a pretty good tagging job on him by Ryan Clark. And uh, the pies didn't have a lot of answers. There was a brief moment there in the third quarter where they rallied and got within about 15 points. But the Swans steadied again and closed out a pretty efficient win with two goals to one in the last quarter. With that, taking the second spot on the ladder and pushing the Pies temporarily, at least, down into fifth spot. Pretty impressive effort by the Swannies, Robert. Yes, it was. And um, I I hate hindsight, but... The Pies were due, mate. They've been magnificent. And while they didn't play poorly, that edge was just off them. They were a flat-ish type of side. Losing to Goey, losing Ginevan, just they lacked a bit of spark. And as you quite rightly said, they met a a young, fit, fresh and quick um, and very well-organised unit on their home ground. Clark to Dacos, he, he's made a he's made a spot for himself for finals because he'll come up against the likes of um, Daniel Rich, won't he? Yeah, Clark. Yeah. Um, so there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of runners off half back in creators. Of job, I love the role of the McCartan brothers, and um, and but their job was made easy the way that Sydney. How do I say this? The Sydney cricket ground is very small. They made it smaller on. Collingwood couldn't go access their targets inside 50. They kept Elliott quiet. They kept Mychek quiet. Ginevan off the ground. No Dugowie to be an X factor. 
I keep saying this about the Swans, and as you know, I've I've been a, a big fan for a while now. But over this last couple of months, why they have got better again is because they have now struck the perfect balance between offensive qualities and defensive qualities. And we saw the latter again today. That you mentioned the McCartan brothers. Rampy, very good. Even yep. a guy like Robbie Fox, who well, like, I want never... you to mention him because yeah. he doesn't get mentioned. Well, that's exactly why I was mentioning. Oh, I'm him. glad you did. I think um, I, I think you, you're seeing another dimension to this side now because early on in the piece, when they were losing, it, they were getting found out a bit defensively, and that balance was tipped too heavily in favour of attack. They've now got it perfect, and guys like that are a big part of it. Clark coming in as a run with player. And you know the other one, and he has had a bit of publicity, but we talk about the young guns, James Rowbottom. He has jumped up and alongside, sits rightfully alongside the likes of Warner now and Justin McInerney. You know, Rowbottom is a huge part of that midfield setup now. And, of course, Callum Mills, who just does it week in, week out. He's like their version of Jack McRae or someone. Um, and up forward, you had Franklin, three goals, Heaney, two goals, Papley, two goals. Uh, all parts of the Sydney engine are ticking over beautifully, Robert. They are very, very primed for a serious uh, tilt at another premiership. I thought it was old soul Sydney, pressure, yep. nice space, keep the ball, quick hands, and then quick ball movement into a very, very mobile forward line. Reed marked the ball at stages, didn't kick it well. Franklin is quick and as elusive as ever. No, he's probably not, but you understand my theory. Uh, Heaney pushing down there, Papley electrifying. This is um, this is Brisbane-like in its mobility and its pace of its medium players and was too much. Don't forget Collingwood's back line had been magnificent and it was mm. the same back line, but they couldn't go with them. I just think this was a tied Collingwood. I think what will happen is... That won't be a relief, but okay. Now we go to Carlton. So they'll get to Goey back. They'll lose Genevan, might make one or two changes, but there'd be no reason to change this side. Freshen up, come back from Sydney and have one enormous crack. It just sets up an extraordinary contest with significant ramifications. Making the eight or making the top five? Take your pick. Well, make, making the top four, I think you mean. Oh, they're, they're fifth at the moment. That's, yeah. And good afternoon to Jamara Ulhaq. <laughs> right? So, yeah, I know. I mean, um, how do you think the pies will bounce back, Rowan? Well, I, I, would, I mean, we, we're presuming to go, he'll come back. Uh, they will really miss Ginevan, not just for structurally, but. He is a real heartbeat of that side, you know. Well, I mean, for the that, last six weeks, Ron, I think the rules have got to him. Haven't the, haven't the decisions got to him mentally? Is he the same player that electrified us on Anzac Day? Oh, uh, well, I think he can be. You know, he, he yeah. requires a fair bit of planning. I actually felt really sorry for him today, sitting there injured on the bench, and every time the scoreboard went to they're taking the TV yeah, feed. That's what the I mean. Score, the scoreboard went to the shot of him on the bench and the entire crowd were booing. Yeah, I know. So That's affecting him. That's yeah, affecting yeah, him. Well, and perhaps and people is. will say you make a rod for your own back, yeah. wear it, grow up. Um, it certainly affected his game. Collingwood, uh, why I spoke about the way that the back line 
uh, was organised with the McCartan brothers. You and I have both commented on Tom McCartan. He's been exposed at times, Rowan. He's yeah. had big, big numbers kicked on him a couple of times, but it was the protection around him with his brother, with Rampy, because Collingwood went at 31% and an incredible 31% uh, inside 50. That's a very, very low uh, efficiency rating against this back line. All right, let's wrap it up there by yep. talking about what either side have on their agenda next week. The Swans will play St Kilda at Marvel Stadium in the final home and away game of the 2022 season, 4.40pm. And if they win that by any sort of margin at all, they will finish second on the ladder and the pies. That massive game against Carlton, 3.20pm Sunday afternoon. What an absolute cracker that is going to be. Hey, so, Ron, yes. just, just quickly, if the Blues get up, do they yeah. back up again against Collingwood? Uh, well, versus eight. it will depend on other results, but oh, uh, I think every chance that could happen. I'm just not okay. quite that organised with my finals ramifications <laughs> at this stage. All right, one game left in round 22. Let's talk about that. Final game of the weekend was Essendon's final home game of the season. And, uh, well, well. Uh, their home games finished pretty much as they started with an absolutely lamentable performance against Port Adelaide and Essendon was smashed. And well done, Port Adelaide. They uh, didn't have anything to play for either, but they at least turned up and absolutely gave it to the Bombers with an 84-point win. The final score is 23 goals, 8 146, defeating Essendon. Nine goals, eight, 62. Um, the damage, most of the damage done in the second quarter when they slammed on 7-2 to just one solitary behind. But that wasn't enough. They came back for more. In the final quarter, they added another nine goals, two to Essendon's three goals and uh boy it was you could hear a pin drop at the end of that game and that was partly because half the Essendon crowd had already left but those that were still there just I think a bit stunned by what they were witnessing uh the goal kickers four goals to Sam Powell Pepper he was terrific for the victors three to Butters three to Georgiades two to Finlayson two to McEntee Two to Marshall, singles the rest, but no fewer than 13 individual goal kickers for the power. And for Essendon, just two multiple goal kickers, two to D'Ambrosio, two to Perkins. Uh, well, it, easy for us to crap on about how pathetic Essendon were because they were pathetic. They did not have a dip. But we, let's start this by talking about Port, Robert. It was a pretty good effort by them. And I'll tell you what, even though they haven't made the eight, and yes, of course, they're going to be disappointed given they played in the preliminary final, they have soldiered on pretty manfully over the last few weeks and never been less than competitive. So a lesson there to their humiliated opposition, at least. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But they came out and made that statement, remember, and um, uh, the couple of points that, um, you know, Butters, Rosie, um, Powell Peppers had a very good year. Rowan and his four goals as a half forward on baller, they decimated them. From the very first second when they went out of the centre bounce onto Travis Boak, a beautiful knock-on 
by Marshall to Boke and a goal. Um, Essendon just concede these scenarios to, oh, it's not our day. We've mm. got to start well. Yeah. Um, they made it. They made for the short term and the long term, and I will apologise because I'm not a Harry Hindsight man. But if you're going to leave right one out with the likes of Alia and Jonas double teaming him, you, you can't drop the likes of Jones. You've got to have a centre half forward that leads these players away, that even plays a decoy. And as for the long term of dropping um, Hobbs and 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 Jones, I just couldn't see it. Um, they were very good. Uh, they worked out Draper. They put a, a smart football on Draper. And this is Draper, um, not the cult figure that Essendon liked to promote him as and the hairstyles and turning up at the games and all that sort of thing. He had 30 hit-outs and four disposals. Mm. This is the reality of football. So Kenny puts Finlayson on him and a bit of Dixon. Finlayson had six hit-outs, Ron. Couldn't yeah, get couldn't get a hit out against my mother, 21 disposed and about six score involvements. Well, this is where you know, I, I was going to read out that this is where stats can be overrated because the hit outs in the end were 50 to nine Essendon's way. Essendon won the clearance count by nine. Yeah. They won the centre bounce clearance as 19 to 15. In fact, didn't lose a contested ball by that much. Smashed on the outside, though, by almost 50 uncontested possessions. And had their best midfield in for the year. Why were they smashed on the outside? I, I can't work it out. Well, they were smashed on the outside by GWS also. I would, I would say complete lack of intensity, preparedness to run. They weren't prepared to run hard enough. And here's another telling stat. Mark's inside 50. Essendon took seven of them. Yep. Port Adelaide took 20 of them. That's, uh, a, that's an extremely telling stat of a lack of, of capacity to work or want to work and the reasons behind uh, those characteristics. It was, okay, so let's call a spade a shovel here. Essendon's had an absolutely abysmal season. They were turning it around, starting to win a few games over the back half and we were saying, well, they're, uh, you know, what do they mean? But surely if you've disgraced yourself in the first half of the season – you at least, once you do start discovering a, a better formula for winning games, keep it going and try and finish with a bit of honour. They have now just, in the last two weeks, undone all that remedial work in the back half of the season. And this, to me, we can talk about the administration of the club, we can talk about the coaching of the club, but you've you got to have players prepared to have a dip. And they didn't today, and their leadership was pathetic. Essendon's on-field leadership this year has just been absolutely absent. This is a rudderless club, Robert. It's rudderless at the top and it's rudderless on the field. And, and it's I rudderless in middle management too, yeah, just well, quietly. Yeah, okay. We, the club is a mess. And today what happened on the field was just a reflection of that. But this, when we keep banging on people about the culture of this club or lack thereof, this is what we're talking about. A club that doesn't now even have enough pride to redeem itself in the final games of a season, but just says, oh, well, we've got nothing to play for. Let's get blown apart in front of our long-suffering fans. Not good enough, disgraceful. Players should hang their heads. That was absolutely pathetic. But hang on, Rowan, you're you're nothing more than a, a grumpy old Essendon supporter and apparently I carry a grudge because I didn't get a job five years ago. Well, we're, let's, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, but we're, we're not wrong. We're not right, are we? We're not, you know. 
We've been banging on about the same thing for a long time. Well, this is and a club. we will continue to until there is change of application starting from the top, which filters down. This is not all about rutten and this is not all about young players and the team. Yep, absolutely. This is about, this is a reflection, I'm telling you, this is a reflection of club. Yep, and it's a club that is way too satisfied with way too little. And uh, it's shown up time and time again. And until that is changed at every level, this will remain a very mediocre club. And had the temerity, the temerity of our members, a lot of them are really good people, to, to, to pack ridicule and to take the P-I-double-S out of the Carlton Football Club who played with honour, who had a go, who fought to the end and who have actually been in the eight for the vast majority of the year and to laugh at them and then have their own club serve up that is an indictment on the attitude of us. We've got to worry about us. Don't worry about Carlton. Don't worry about Collingwood. Get our act right and stop using other clubs as a crutch for your frustration and direct uh, volatile direction. Well, stop using other clubs' failures to prop up your own wavering self-esteem. I mean, it's said by a real journalist that uh, has better words than me. Well, oh, it really annoys me. The, the most dangerous thing about this current situation is it's making Essendon irrelevant. Now, you know, Essendon, whatever it's been, has very rarely been irrelevant. That is what it's becoming now, and it's a, a massive concern. Anyway, anyway, I'll just say this. I'll just say this. The jungle drums are beating, Robert. I think things are about to happen, and hopefully we may have more on that in the next week or so, but let's see. And uh, Port, like I said, yep. haven't made disappointing year for them, but they have battled on pretty well. So well done to Ken Hinckley and co at least for fighting out the season with a bit of honour that their opponent today didn't have. What have they got next week, Port Adelaide? Well, they could finish off with even more honour by beating their bitter local rival Adelaide in a showdown to finish off the season, 7.30pm Saturday Eastern Standard Time, that one. Essendon at about the same time, 7.25pm take on Richmond at the MCG. And if they turn on something like today, that is going to be absolute carnage. All right, that's enough. Uh, That is all nine games in round 22, wrapped up, analysed, summarised. We've got one round to go. Uh, thanks to your company, everyone. We are here as usual for Palmerbet. Uh, get tackle busting benefits all this AFL season. Thanks to Palmerbet. You can support us at the ACAST supporter page uh, on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast or become a Footyology patron via the links to Patreon on the Footyology website, footyology.com.au, where Shane hopes. Wrap up of this round is already up and published now, and this podcast will be published as well. Thanks to your company, Robert. You know what? Now the one consolation from that disgraceful performance by our club is today, it's that I am in such a comparatively zen-like state after my barley sojourn (laughs) that even the pathetic Essendon Football Club can't upset me too much, and thank God for that. Good on uh, you, Ron. Thank you. All right. We'll uh, we'll be back, everyone, to preview round 23 on Wednesday. We'll chat to you then. Yeah.